All right, let's get into uh, Luke 12. I told you last week that we're going to look at the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We're going to kind of pull back the curtain and just work our way through how we've kind of figured this out. Um, oftentimes, preachers are guilty of not explaining to you how they came up with the solution. It's kind of like in math or in algebra where you're just told X equals whatever. And you're like, I want to figure out how you came up with X equals whatever. Show me your work. How did you get to the solution you get to? So we're just going to work through it together tonight, just uh, discussing it and interacting over the text, uh, trying to figure out what is this sin that he's talking about. Verse number 10 of chapter 12 of Luke. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. That's kind of our focus for 90% of our time together tonight. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. What an incredible promise. Let's pray. Lord, we just pray that you'd bless our Sunday night time of interaction. Pray, Lord, that everyone who opens their mouth tonight would be led by the Holy Spirit, that everything that's said would be edifying and helpful as we guide ourselves through this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you ask someone what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you're going to hear a multiplicity of answers. I mean, people are just all over the map on what this is. And oftentimes, if you ask what their denominational association is, Pentecostal, charismatic, whatever, that'll help you figure out why they're saying what they're saying, because there is a particular bias associated with particular denominations. Now, this is only mentioned in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. John does not touch this in any way, shape, or form. We've got two other passages. Let's go ahead and turn to Matthew 12 first, and we'll read that together. And then we'll turn over to Mark 3, and we'll read that together, just so we see what the synoptic gospels have to say about this. And anytime you're reading through the gospels, make sure you take the time that you look at, if you're teaching through the gospels, what does the parallel passage say, so that you can see if there's anything helpful there in explaining the text. So again, looking at verse number 31 of chapter 12 of Matthew, we read, Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blaspheme will be forgiven people, but the blaspheme against the Spirit will not be forgiven. So this is why this has become such a crucial idea. What is this sin that can't be forgiven? And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Now let's turn over to Mark chapter 3 and read what Mark has to say about this. What did Mark record from Jesus? 28 and 30.
Verse 28 of Mark chapter 3. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. Now that's encouraging. And whatever blasphemes they utter. So now this seems to be, notice it doesn't say against the Son of Man. It just says whatever blasphemes they utter. And whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Verse 30, and this is important. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Okay. All right, so what is this unforgivable sin? That's what we're going to try to navigate through tonight. What is this unforgivable sin? How do we understand or define blasphemy? This is where we wish our Bible came with a glossary. But it doesn't. You know what I mean by glossary? Turn to the back of the glossary in a high school textbook and it says, this is how we understand this word. Just This is the definition of this word, but it doesn't. So before we focus on the negative, let's see the positive. Before we focus on the negative, let's see the positive. Let's see both in the Matthew 12 passage and the Mark 3 passage that the first thing he introduces is not the negative, but it's the positive. That is, all sins will be forgiven. This is a really good news. Our God forgives sin. That's exciting. That's good to know that every sin and blaspheme will be forgiven of people. That, that's really exciting because we continue to meet people that think that they've sinned beyond the cross. And we need to tell them all sins can be forgiven. All sins. We need to put it right in front of them. All sins can be forgiven. They all can be forgiven. We need to show them what the word of God says. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us for sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm assuming you know that verse. If you don't, it's time to memorize it. Now, what's interesting to note on this verse is he doesn't say except. He doesn't put an exception clause in there. And we need to remember that. He doesn't put an exception clause in there. He doesn't say except the sin against the Holy Spirit. So over here we've got a sin that can't be forgiven, the sin against the Holy Spirit. And over here we have, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what we're going to do right now is just take a few minutes of looking at some different paragraphs that provide some commentary. The first one is, comes from Crossway Bibles. It's the ESV Study Bible. You'll recall that each one of the chapters, I mean the books in uh, each of the 66 books has a particular author that provides the commentary. Speaks a word against will be forgiven versus blasphemes against will not be forgiven. Jesus closes this occasion of teaching his disciples with this most inip, in, 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 Say it one more time. So enigmatic, debated and misunderstood saying of his ministry. Key to understanding this passage is the distinction Jesus makes between, on one hand, the extreme case of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, and on the other hand, the lesser case of speaking in a dishonorable way against the Son of Man. One who asks to be forgiven for disrespectful words, 
hastily spoken against Jesus, the Son of Man will be forgiven. Note Peter's rejection of Jesus and his subsequent restoration. All right, the paragraph continues. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that is the persistent and unrepentant resistance against the work of the Holy Spirit and his message concerning Jesus, this Jesus says will not be forgiven. The person who persists in hardening his heart against God, against the work of the Holy Spirit, and against the provision of Christ as Savior is outside the reach of God's provision for forgiveness and salvation. Christians often worry that they have committed this sin, but such a concern is itself evidence of an openness to the work of the Spirit. And then we have notes that we could go and reference in Matthew and in Mark. All right, thoughts on this small paragraph. Like it, don't like it, thumbs up, thumbs down, not sure. Where do you stand on this? Well-written, defendable, what do you think? That's always what I've been taught. All right, Mike says that's always what he's been taught, okay? Josh says always been taught. Mike in the back? Thumbs up, Mike gives it a thumbs up. Anybody else? Okay. Yeah. Anybody else? All right. Here's another note. This is from the Net Bible, so another good, reliable evangelical source. It says, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit probably refers to the total rejection of the testimony that the Spirit gives to Jesus and the plan of God. This is not so much a sin of the moment as one's entire life an obstinate rejection of God's message and testimony. So do those two, do they complement each other or are they at odds with one another? Thoughts? Darren? Compliment. Anybody else? We're talking, we're learning tonight together. We're, we're teachers. Everyone in the room are students of the word. We've got our resources that we're using. We're learning to read resources, comprehend what they say, judge them. Evan? The chronicness of the rejection. Okay. Anybody else? Blake. I think the ESV should have included the total rejection part. Yeah, I think that's necessary. You thought the ESV author should have included a little bit more of the total idea. All right. Anybody else? And that's what we're going to talk about in just a moment because that's a different thing than what they're saying right here. That's a different perspective, and I'll show you a note in just a minute about that, what you just said, the ascribing of the uh, work of Satan to Jesus. Okay. Yes, Don. Kidney stones come out, Don? Praise the Lord for that. Amen, huh? That's about miserable, isn't it? You're pretty casual tonight. What's up with that? Just kind of, is this a new look? Did you ride your bike in tonight to church or something? Yeah, yeah. Trip, uh, did you have your hand up? I think the first one that you showed. The ESV? Acts 7.51 is helpful. Okay, yeah, all right, we'll turn there. I've got it alone, but uh, um, Trip wants to turn to Acts 7.51 right now, so let's go ahead and do that. 
Yeah, we'll look at this in just a little bit as we look at all the different verses that relate to the Holy Spirit, but this is real good. Acts 7, 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Good, good, very good. All right, here's the CSB study Bible. I think this is Mike's favorite. Am I right, Mike? Do you, you enjoy this study Bible? Yep. Um, and, and I found it to be decent. Yep. Uh, lots of really good notes. So the ESV study Bible, the Net study Bible, and the CSB study Bible. Um, apparently speaking against Jesus could be forgiven because of his human appearance. One aspect of the meaning of Son of Man. According to the parallel passage in Mark 3, Verse 28 through 30, and we read this one, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is to attribute to Satan the works of the Spirit. That is the unforgivable sin. Now, they're pretty narrow right there. You see that? Do you, I, I, you've just seen three different perspectives, and you're navigating through this. You're a teacher. You're teaching through the Gospels. You're working through this difficult idea of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and they're narrowing down on a particular sin that is to attribute to Christ the work of a Satan being attributed to the work of the Spirit. Okay? Do they give you any idea how they support that? The Mark 3.28 passage, right. And that was that last sentence that we read back in Mark 3, if you want to take a moment to turn back there, where it says very specifically what they were doing. What they were doing. Okay. Whoever blasphemes in verse 29, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Now, what do y'all think right now? Look at those two verses together. Church, do you think that that's enough of a connection to make where you can narrowly define it like this? Or do you think that we need to look at a more holistic idea? What do y'all think? Jeff? I think it needs to be more holistic because some of the same people that were uh, saying this could have been saved uh, when Peter talked in Acts after the resurrection. So we don't know, but... Okay. Anybody else? Nate, what do you think? I think, I think both are similar in some ways, but it's still a rejection. Even if you're attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to uh, the Satan, that's still a rejection of the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, if you're resisting as an unbeliever the Holy Spirit, that is also a rejection. So I still think, I think it's kind of the same. Okay. Caleb, what do you think? You said the Greek? Slander. Okay, yeah, and I'm going to show you that in just a minute, that kind of an idea that we're talking about here. So again, here's the passage that we were talking about here, for he has an unclean spirit. Okay. 
This is coming to you from the New American Commentary, which is a solid evangelical commentary. In this case, it's Robert H. Stein. The suggested interpretations, and we're going to give five options. The suggested interpretations include, number one, claiming that Jesus possessed an unclean spirit, referring to Mark chapter 3. Apostasy by a Christian as opposed to a non-believer speaking against Jesus. Number three, rejecting Christ after his resurrection in contrast to doing so before the resurrection. Okay, any of those you are just like, you can just outright say, no, I, I don't think there's any way those three could be a possibility. Any of them that you want to reject? What's that? Number two. Mike says two. Why number two, Mike? Oh, you said it. Once saved, always saved. Yep. I prayed the prayer and now I'm good to go. Right, Mike? Did you see that sarcasm just gleaming across here? Mike loves to push the buttons. That's one of his primary characteristics as to who he is. Working on figuring out how to push even more budgets or? Yeah. Adam. Yeah, but they're saying that if you say that he possessed an unclean spirit, that's the blasphemy that is the sin that's unforgivable to do, say that Jesus had an unclean. Yeah, that's what they're saying. They're saying that if you say that, then that's the sin that's unforgivable or apostasy by a Christian. And of course, the idea that a Christian apostatizes is what Mike was referring to. Uh, we know that true believers are kept by the Lord and they will never apostatize. Number three, rejecting Christ after his resurrection in contrast to doing so before the resurrection. Can we, do we have any support from what we've read on number three? Meredith says no. Anybody else? Do you all see any support? Jeff? What about with Paul, Saul? He rejected Jeff brings to our attention the narrative of Paul's rejection of Christ and then his acceptance of Christ. Anybody else? All right, let's look at number four. Number four is rejection of the disciples' testimony, which after Pentecost was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Number five, persistent and unremitting resistance to the Spirit's work as he brings conviction of sin and reveals the need for repentance and faith. Okay, so there's a small panel in front of you. I want you to pit push one through five right now. And... All right, what do y'all think? If you had to pick one right now, where, where, where would you go? Five? One? One because it has a scripture reference, Jessica says. Anybody else? Don't be on the fence. Let's make a commitment here. Paul? You just throw your hands up. I'm like, like you win, right? Like, yeah. Uh, it's, it's one in five, right? It's two point, it's three. Okay. Okay. All right, so one in five, you're saying. John again. Five. Okay, anybody else? We're getting there. Yep, we are absolutely getting there. 
Yeah. Right here. What'd you say? Mike's is number one. Okay. had said that he had an unclean spirit. Yep. Okay. So Mike says it's basically the cursing of the Holy Spirit. That's the idea here. All right, so here we are. Here's our Greek word in front of us. And this is another example of a transliteration, like baptizo, okay? And this, Jessica, is what makes this so hard because we don't have this equivalent English word. We, we, we've got this Greek word, And there's not an equivalent English word. So what do we do? We just move it from Greek to English characters. And you can see it right there in the transliteration. You can see that the pronunciation there is, this is our word, blaspheme. And um, and there's not a uniform agreement on how this should be translated. There's not a uniform agreement on how this should be translated. The word occurs 35 times in the Texas Redactation. Texas receptive uh, New Testament and the King James the vast majority of the times goes blaspheme 17 times speak evil of 10 times rail twice blasphemer once speak blaspheme once and blasphemously one time and then miscellaneously translates it three times all right now they've got a biblical outline to speak reproachfully rail at revile well that's a good word who's got that one Wow. Is there anything you can't pronounce? Very nice. Okay. All right. Who, who else can say it louder? Because that wasn't very loud. Columinate? She shook, did like this. No, you didn't get it right. Right. You didn't get it right. Okay. C-A-L-U-M-N-I-A-T-E for our listeners. All right. Blaspheme. So now we go to Webster Dictionary and we're just trying to figure out how to understand this word. And Webster says to speak of or address with irreverence or revile or abuse. Now, what's the problem with this Webster Webster Dictionary definition? What's the problem with it? Say again. Come on. Louder. All right. Too ambiguous. It could be talking about everybody. So in this case, it doesn't add them. The slightest disrespect, right. And I'm going to show you that in just a minute. That, That many times that's how this Greek word was used. Is disrespect. And this is why this definition doesn't take in the theological aspect, does it? No, this is like a generic definition of it. It doesn't address it from a theological perspective. It's a general idea. So I want to show you all the times in the ESV that this word is used where it's not translated blaspheme. Where it's not translated blaspheme, okay? Mark 27, and those who passed by derided him. Now, if you're reading your Greek New Testament, you'd read blaspheme. Everyone understand that? You'd read blaspheme. Mark 15, 29, those who passed by derided him. Luke 23, 39, one of the criminals who was hanged railed at him. Now, isn't that interesting to note 
that even within the synoptic gospels, they choose two different English words for the same Greek. You think it's because it's context? So what would you say the difference is between deriding and railing? All right, you said railing indicates it's continuous. All right, so deride, rail. Not in context. Not in context. Those who passed by derided him. The one that was hanging on the thing railed at him. Could it be that there were two different translation committees working on the Gospels and one chose one word and one chose the other and they didn't consult each other? All right, so railed is more continuous from, your, from Eric's perspective. Derided is a momentary thing. All right, we look at Acts chapter 13. Acts 13. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So what have we had so far? We've had derided, we've had railed, and now we've had what? All right, what's reviving? How would you make a distinction between railing, deriding, and reviling them? Right, but of course it's the same Greek word, right? Same Greek word. Evan. Like railing and deriding is more of an act, like an outward action, whereas reviling is more of a feeling of enmity. Okay. So you are drawing a slight distinction. Yeah. Blake, do you feel like that you would use all three of these words and pick which one at any given time? What, Jennifer? And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am innocent from now on. I will go to the Gentiles. Now, what are we doing right now? Just so that I haven't lost everybody. We're looking at blaspheme. If we're reading in this Greek, we just keep seeing the same Greek word over each time. That's what we'd be seeing is the same Greek word. And yet they've made a conscious decision not to use blasphemy here. They use blasphemy in other locations, but not in these. Why not? Why did they do that? Tell me, tell me why you think they did that. Why did they choose not to use blasphemy? Evan. They, they relegated blasphemy to only being regarding God. Okay, so uh, Evan says that they've taken blasphemy and now they're only going to use it in the context of Christ and and the Holy Spirit and God the Father, a, a theological narrowing down of this. And then when it's not related to those three, then they go to other alternative words. Well, Hunch was saying, you know, what really matters is what the Greek says in the blasphemy. But I think the translators try to translate it in a way that everyday readers can understand it. Right, but we, we're trying to understand what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, right? That's what we're trying to understand. And here we've got revile the Holy Spirit, rail against the Holy Spirit, um, what we're, deride the Holy Spirit. Y'all tracking what we're doing here? All right, let's move on. Slander. 1 Corinthians 4.13, when they slandered, we retreated. 1 Corinthians 10.30, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? 
I think we've identified five or six different words so far that they are choosing for the same Greek word. Denounce, slandered, rail, revile. First Timothy 6.1, let all who are under a yoke of, as a bondstone regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Titus 2.5, to be self-controlled, pure, working home, kind and submissive to their own husbands and the word of God may not be reviled. Now we get a new word, malign. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. I think we're up to seven or eight words at this point. We get to the book of Revelation now where blasphemy is used throughout the book multiple times. You keep running into it. And this time, three different times, they're consistent in chapter 16, verse 9, 11, and 21, cursed. So I want to hear from you right now. Now that you've seen all these different words for blaspheme, how does that interpret, how does that impact how you define this? How does that help or hinder? How does that contribute? I want to hear from you. All right, context. Okay, they're picking according to the context. Do you think that we can do these things to the Holy Spirit? Do you think we can rail, revile, slander? What? No, not as a believer, as a human being. Not a believer, sister. We're, we're talking about, it can't be a believer. We know it can't be a believer because a believer has all their sins, what? Forgiven. Forgiven and they're eternally secure in Christ Jesus. So a believer could never commit the sin that's unforgivable. That's an impossibility. We, we need to own that, right? Because that means that a particular sin could eternally separate you from Christ. But yet Christ died for our sins. All of them, right. So, but what I'm trying to figure out is can you imagine a scenario where an unbeliever, I'll be more clear, is reviling, slandering, maligning, railing, cursing the Holy Spirit? Okay, so based on that, does this help us narrow down or understand what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? In other words, am I going to really narrowly define it that is attributing the works of Christ uh, to the devil? That's a very narrow definition. Does everyone agree with that? That's a very narrow definition. Or does it have a larger definition and, and encompasses, encompasses more things? And what I'm suggesting to you tonight is by taking the time to look at the 35 references where blaspheme is used and seeing all the different ways it's translated gives me a better understanding of what this could have encompassed. Wood deriding, railing, slandering, cursing, reviling, maligning the Holy Spirit. What would that look like? All right, turn on the television. What would you say? Rejection. Rejection. That's right. Rejection. And can anyone get saved apart from the Spirit? Right, 1 Corinthians 12. No man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3. The wind blows where you want and you can't figure it out and such is with the work of the Holy Spirit all over the place. 
So we know that the Holy Spirit is an instrumental means in bringing somebody to Christ. So the ignoring of the Holy Spirit becomes the means whereby sin can't be what? Forgiven. Okay. We already looked at, Trip brought us there earlier, Acts 7.51. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Now, bear in mind, that would say, if we're reading in Greek, you always blaspheme the Holy Spirit. But what if I stop doing that? What if I stop blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Is there any hope for me if I stop doing it? Yes or no? Yes. Why are we saying that? Because we have a promise that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. That if anyone comes to him, he's not going to turn him away. I mean, we, we, we got to narrow this down, church, tonight. Because are we saying that a one-time rejection of the Holy Spirit is the blaspheme, thus you're unsavable at that point? And the answer is No. But as we said earlier, Evan said the chronic rejection results in what? A real problem. This is not the blaspheme word. This is not the blaspheme word. But I do want you to notice that Paul says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. So if we can grieve the Holy Spirit, then there's nothing wrong with saying we revile or deride or rail or curse against or any of those other words. Because in this connotation, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And by the way, what would this look like? What would grieving the Holy Spirit look like? Have you ever felt like you've grieved the Holy Spirit? What did it look like when you felt like you grieved the Holy Spirit? What's that? Conviction. So the Holy Spirit's convicting you? You claim to have salvation, but you're living a totally different way. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Mike Bortz back there. Somebody asked you a question. Pastor, what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? As a believer when I sin. sin. That's simple. Disobedience. All right. What about quenching? How would you explain the difference? Steve Wilson, how would you explain the difference between grieving and quenching because you've you just recently taught on the holy spirit i know you did a lot of work in this well i'm not surprised right yeah 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 so if i've quenched the holy spirit how do i get it back all right, repentance? Hutch, what do you think? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's part of it. I think spiritual disciplines is important. Spiritual disciplines. What in the world do you mean by spiritual disciplines? Reading the word. Reading the word. Coming in community with fellow believers. Coming in community. What the Bible talks about. So if I quench the Holy Spirit, can I come back from that, Marcus? If I quench the Holy Spirit, can I come back from that? Marcus Lewis. You think Hutch is right? Okay, I think we have one more. Hebrews 10, 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, 
and has outraged the spirit of grace. Wow, outraged the spirit of grace. So we're cursing, maligning, deriding, railing, reviling, outraging, resisting, grieving. And then it is interesting to have a separate conversation sometime about 1 John 5, 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. And to those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Same thing or different? All right, I'll... John, what do you got? Same, all right. John says same. All right, let's look back at 11 and 12 and we'll be done. Let's look back at 11, 12 and we'll wrap it up. So if I had to vote, I would vote for five, by the way. I would vote for five. I would say that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the continual rejection of the Spirit's desire to bring you to Christ. Okay, so he circles back and provides us a really good thing, a really exciting thing. He ends it with a promise. He ends it with the role of the Holy Spirit. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. And now look at this incredible promise in verse 12. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. How do you understand that? Have you ever experienced it? How do you understand that? Have you ever experienced it? How do you understand that? Have you ever experienced it? Caleb. So you're drawing a parallel between this being led by the Holy Spirit here to testify concerning Christ and then no one's coming to Christ but by the Spirit. So the relationship between these two things, which is why it's such an elevated priority not to do it. All right, come on. Who's experienced this before? Adam, you've experienced it? What did it look like? Prayed to see your commander, found out that he wasn't a believer, and then you found yourself having conversations about Abraham, Isaac. What did that look like as far as the Holy Spirit? Like, did you, did you talk like a robot, or was it still your voice? Or I mean, how did you distinguish the Spirit moving in you?
All right, you didn't know what you were going to say when you went in there, and you were getting clarity. Anybody else? Is he the only one in the church? That's... Mike. All right, so Mike says that he thinks back at how the response was. It was better than what he could have come up with. But in that moment, the Spirit was leading you. The words coming off your mouth were clearly guided by the Spirit. It's Quinn. You were talking to somebody in Arabic. You weren't very good at Arabic, but at the time when you were witnessing to a Muslim, your Arabic was better than it normally was? That's pretty cool. All the way in the back. Yes, sir. Yep. That's grieving. That's clearly grieving. That's a good example of grieving. And, and I've done that, and you repent. I mean, you say literally, Holy Spirit of God, I'm so sorry that I didn't listen to you. And give me another chance, Lord, you know? Give me another, pitch it again, okay? Pitch it again. I'll swing this time, Lord, I promise. You know, because none of us hit every time the ball goes across the plate. And, and we need to... It'd be better to swing and miss than not to swing. Yeah. Anybody else? Austin. Uh, so plenty of times, just throughout the course of talking to someone, gets super anxious that I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to drive this person away. And then you start realizing, get the discernment that God's word won't turn away God's people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just using what you know from Scripture to speak to them. Yeah, so does this mitigate our need to know the word? No. 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 All right, it elevates it. Very good. Good, good. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the night and we thank you for the time that we're able to dig into your word. I thank you that so many people were faithful to coming out on a wet, cold night. Pray, Lord, that you'd give us a great week. Help us to be the salt and light that you've called us to be. Help us to claim the promise that you will give us the words to speak in that moment when we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. And we pray, oh God, that there's not a single person in this church, any unbeliever that's here that's resisting the Holy Spirit, that if the Spirit is convicting them, if the Spirit is pricking them, if the Spirit is calling them to put faith in Christ, that they will say yes to the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.